0: Jesus is on a journey, and that journey started near his hometown in the region of Galilee. And it took him to this very road, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And if you remember, Jesus told a story about this road where he challenged an expert in the law to not just know his faith, but to live it out. And it's interesting that on this road, Jesus would actually have to listen to His own advice, where He would have to submit and live in obedience to His Father's plan for His life, even if it would cost Him greatly. And so as Jesus crests the hill on the last leg of His journey into Jerusalem, what we will see as we zoom in to His last days on earth is our Savior's unfiltered obedience. Luke 19, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. So Jesus is on the edge of Jerusalem. It's the final leg of his journey. And you can imagine Jesus standing on the top of the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Kidron Valley, staring at the city of Jerusalem. See, for Jesus, this was the place where his father would use him to fulfill his purpose. And so as Jesus continues the journey to Jerusalem, he asks his disciples for something unique. The text says, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. Now Jesus does something really unique in this text, almost seemingly out of place. Why is he asking for a colt or a donkey? Why is he sending his disciples to get this donkey that is just really awkwardly waiting for him? He's made this whole journey from Galilee to right now the Mount of Olives and why all of a sudden would Jesus want to ride? Well, what Jesus is actually doing is fulfilling a prophecy. We see in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, it says, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so here Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy. I know, a donkey, right? Seems crazy. But as you study Jesus' life all throughout the Gospels, you realize that He really does nothing that isn't intentional. You see, this isn't by accident that Jesus stops on this road and grabs a donkey to ride in. It was predicted long ago by Zachariah. And so His disciples go, verse 7 says, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so Jesus gets on this donkey and you can almost imagine the scene. There are large crowds all around from all over the region because it's Passover. And as Jesus journeys down this road to Jerusalem, these crowds gather together and they begin to cheer and express their love to Jesus. They say, Hosanna, which means Lord save. They shout their expressions in in love for Jesus. They, they, They take their cloaks and lay them on the road. They cut down palm branches and lay them down in an expression of honor and adoration to Jesus. In fact, that's why we call today, Palm Sunday, because these crowds were in such high anticipation for who Jesus was. They say, Hosanna in the highest heaven. But yet, not everybody in the crowd was happy. Some were furious. Luke 19, verse 39, it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so right here in the midst of this journey, there's this tense moment. The Pharisees are angry. They hear and see this heresy and they tell Jesus to rebuke the disciples. They were mad because Jesus was accepting the people's praise that he was the son of God. And so they angrily say, Jesus, tell him to stop. But then Jesus responds. He says, if they don't say it, the rocks will cry out. And I love Jesus' response because it's a powerful reminder for me and for you that Jesus isn't reliant on our worship. He doesn't need it, but yet He allows us to be a part of it. Jesus doesn't need us to worship Him because all of creation does it for Him. All of creation's, the heavens and the earth, cry out to God in worship and adoration. And when the religious leaders, the Pharisees, heard Jesus' response, they wouldn't have liked it it would have created a boiling point for them because as they hear what He says, they would decide, they would have came to the conclusion that it's time to get rid of this Jesus. And you might ask the question, why would Jesus respond this way? I mean, why would Jesus take a tense moment and even make it more tense? Is Jesus trying to get Himself killed? Yeah, actually He is. Jesus knew that this road led to His demise. This path would ultimately lead to his death. John 12, many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So as Jesus responds to these Pharisees, you can see them grow increasingly angry because they realize that their attempts to foil Jesus' plans were not working. They were getting absolutely nowhere. And so they reach this boiling point. Their hearts are hardened and they realize that the only way to get rid of Jesus was to take Him out. And so as Jesus finishes the journey to Jerusalem, It's amazing how fast this crowd changes their tune. It's amazing to see that the crowds that line the streets with their palm branches and line the streets with their cloaks to adore Jesus, to cheer for Jesus, to rejoice that He had arrived, this crowd that would chant, Hosanna in the highest. You see, their chants would be short-lived because this very same crowd, a few days later, would choose a criminal, over their Savior. This same crowd that lined the streets of this same city would change their tune. They would shout a different phrase. It wouldn't be Hosanna. It would be crucify Him, crucify Him. And yet, this didn't surprise our Savior at all. Jesus wasn't jarred by their response. In fact, He was fully ready for it because this was His purpose for being here. This was the plan all along. This is what His Father had in store for Him. So that leads me to a question. Why would Jesus do this? Why would He take step after step on this path? You see, as we focus in on our Savior, right here in the city of Jerusalem, the place that would end His life, what we see is His unfiltered obedience. You see, Jesus would submit and surrender to His Father's plan no matter how easy or hard the road would be, no matter how painful or what He would have to endure during the journey. And yet I wonder about you and I wonder about me. Is our life committed to fully being surrendered and living in obedience to God no matter what the path brings, no matter what our journey entails? You see, I wonder today if we're too busy choosing the easy road, the road that might lead to our happiness, the road that is just a little bit less bumpy, rather than being fully committed in living in obedience to whatever our Father leads us to. But yet that leads me to a second question, and maybe an even more important question. What drove Jesus to this road? What was in His heart and in His mind as He took each step to this city? You see, the answer to that question is us. It's you and it was me, because it was our sin that drove Jesus here, because our sin caused a barrier between me and God. Our rebellion and our disobedience to God's commands in our life separated us from a holy God. And the only solution to that problem, to our issue, was Jesus. He is our perfect and spotless land. He is our solution because God loved us enough to surrender His one and only Son on our behalf to conquer our sin. You see, Jesus interceded and intervened to pay a penalty that we couldn't pay, to cover a debt that was beyond our reach. So He would come to this city to spread his arms out wide on a cross and to surrender and give his life for us because he was willing to go down whatever road his father would lead him because of his unfiltered obedience. Can you imagine the position Jesus is in I mean, he is staring his death straight in the face. Better yet, he's actually marching towards it. And you can almost feel the emotion he must be feeling, the stress, the pressure on his shoulders. You know, I often wondered if, if I could know, if I could know how I would die and when I would die, would I really want to know that information? You know, maybe you've asked yourself the exact same question. If you could have that information, the information of of when you would die and how it would happen, would you really want to know? You see, Jesus is facing that reality in this story. He's walking towards his demise, towards his death, where he would hang on a cross. And man, what a scary reality. And as we look at this story, what's interesting is we actually see this staggering and stark contrast between Jesus and the crowd. You see, when we zoom into Jesus's life, what we notice about him is he never wavered on the road to obedience and sacrifice. Jesus never wavered. He never stopped and and thought, hey, does God have a different plan for me? Because he never wavered on the road to obedience and sacrifice. He never thought for one second, man, God, do you have a easier road for me? Do you have a different option than for me to suffer and to die? He knew from the very first breath that he took on Christmas as a baby boy. He knew his purpose and his mission of why he came. He knew that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He knew that he came to rescue us from our sin and he knew it would cost him greatly. And never once did he waver. He took step after step to his demise and to his death because of why he came. I mean, even look at his own words in in John chapter 12. It says this, Jesus says these words. He says, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? So here you're given a glimpse of Jesus' humanity where we can all relate to him. He says, I'm troubled because I know what's coming. I know what my future holds. He says, I'm I'm troubled to the deepest and darkest places of my life. My soul is troubled. He says, what should I say? He continues He says, Father, save me from this hour. I mean, this seems normal to us, right? When when we're in trouble, what do we do? We cry out to people who can help us. We cry out to our parents, the, the people who are strong. And of all the people that could save Jesus, it was his dad. He could have easily snapped his fingers and pulled him out of these circumstances. Jesus says what we can all relate to. Father, should I cry out and ask you to save me? But look what he says. He says, no, because it was this very reason I came. And what we see in Jesus in this moment in history and in his life as he walks towards his death, that he had this unhindered and unfiltered obedience for his father's plan. He never wavered, never thought about it. He just lived in obedience to what his dad had in store for him. But in stark contrast to that is the crowd. As we look at Jesus, the polar opposite of him is the crowd we see in this story. And what we notice about the crowd is they chose the path of least resistance. They chose the the smooth path, the decorated path, the, the path with no really bumps or bruises along the road. Wherever the crowd went, they followed. I mean, this was the crowd that when Jesus showed up to Jerusalem, what did they do? They celebrated him. They worshiped him. They they laid down their cloaks and their palm branches and they, they gave their words of adoration to Jesus. They said, Hosanna, Jesus is here. He saves. They worshiped him. They adored him. But it didn't take long for this crowd to find an easier path. It didn't take long for this crowd to change their tune because a few days later, those chants of Hosanna and adoration would completely change. They would change to crucify him, murder him, kill this blasphemer. And you know, as I read this story, man, it's so easy for me to judge the crowd, to wonder how could people do this to Jesus? But yet what scares me is so many times I find myself in this very crowd, where in my life I am choosing a path that is convenient and comfortable rather than the path that God has for me. In my life, I I can relate so much to the crowd because instead of going against the grain and what God has led me to, I find it so easy to fit in and follow where everybody else is going. And what it really comes down to is this word called obedience. What we see in Jesus is unfiltered obedience. He submitted to his father's plan. And I wonder about me and I wonder about you today. What is filtering your obedience to God? I mean, think about that for a second. Don't just walk by that question, but really zoom into your life and ask yourself the question, what excuses are you coming up with not to walk down the path or to go on the journey or walk on the road that God has for you. You know, maybe it's honestly as simple as cost because you know Jesus's words. Jesus said these exact words to his disciples, to his followers, to the people closest to him. He says, if you wanna follow me, if you wanna walk down the road that I walked on, you gotta pick up your cross You gotta deny your desires, your wants, and you gotta follow me. And the truth is, is many of us, we don't wanna follow Jesus because it's actually going to cost us. It will cost you and it should cost you. And so many of us knowing the cost, we just pick a different road. Maybe for some of you today, your excuse is just reputation. You desire to follow Jesus, but you have this question. Like if I go all in, if I truly surrender to Jesus, what will my reputation look like? What will my coworkers and and what will my family and what will my friends say about me? And that thought of your reputation changing just causes you to walk down a different road. Maybe for you, it's just fear or uncertainty. Right, like you, you, you want to follow Jesus. You feel him actually drawing you to himself, but yet the fear of what it would be like to follow Jesus, the unknown of what that path would look like, the fear and, and of the unknown and the uncertainty just causes you to pause and question, is this really the road you want to take? You know, maybe a better way to ask this question is how are you being like the crowd in this story? where you're just kind of flip-flopping for whatever's easiest, whatever road's less bumpy and hard. Can I ask you this? Where is the path of least resistance calling your name? Where is it calling out and saying, this is easier, go down this path. Following Jesus is difficult in its heart. You know, maybe the path path of least resistance is calling out to you in your marriage today or with your finances today. Or maybe it's at work or in the current predicament that we're in where you realize it's just easier at work because we're all working from home. It's just easier to kind of do whatever you want. Your boss will never know. It's just easier with your finances in the stress and the worry just to buy whatever makes you feel good even if you can't pay for it. It's just easier in your marriage to take care of your needs and neglect your spouse's or your kid's needs. It's just easier in our current predicament to feed our fear and let worry consume us. But the road that is diligent and hard, that maybe might be a little bit bumpy, calls us to go down a different road. Where in your marriage, you actually put your needs on the back burner and you love your spouse and your kids the way Christ loved you. Maybe with your finances, the hard road is actually creating a budget and saying no to things that you want and desire but can't afford. Maybe with your fear right now, it's transferring it into faith even though that's really difficult. Maybe at work, it's pressing in and working really hard see, where is the path of least resistance calling out to you right now? And as Christ followers, as people who claim the name of Jesus Christ, as people who have been forgiven by him and are following him, who are his disciples, we have a choice to make. And it's not a once in a lifetime choice, it's a day by day, hour by hour, and honestly right now, second by second choice. And a lot of times the choice is between what is convenient for me, what is comfortable for me, what's easy for me, versus what is hard and rocky and difficult, but yet what honors God. To go against the grain and to follow Jesus or to just fit in and do what everybody else is doing. And I I honestly wonder for my life and for your life, what road will you choose? Right now, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of people dying and virus spreadings, and in the midst of hard choices, what path will you take? Will you choose the easy route, the comfortable route, the convenient route, or will you say to God, God, I'll obey you no matter what it means for my life. No matter what road you ask me to walk down, no matter what journey you have for me, I'm surrendered to you. I'm all in. I'm bought into you, Jesus. And I'm gonna walk just like you walked. And if it means I'm headed to my death, God, I'm submitted to your plan. What road will you choose as a Christ follower? But yet in this story, there, there, there's something bigger going on. There's something greater because, man, as we look at Jesus's life, you've gotta ask the question, why would Jesus walk down this road? Why would Jesus walk to his death? Why would he create a tense moment, even tenser, that would ultimately get him killed? Is he just not thinking correctly? Has Jesus just kind of lost it because no one in their right mind walks to their own death. No one in their right mind shows up to their own murder scene. No one in their right mind would walk to the cross, but Jesus did. Why? And the answer to that question is Jesus walked the road to his death for you and for me because of his ridiculous and unrelenting And actually what feels like reckless love for you and I. I mean, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your family life is like. But I know for a lot of people in our culture, in our society, many people don't feel loved. And can I correct you today? Because you need to know something. That you are loved by God. And the evidence is not in the words that he says, but the evidence is when he stretched out his arms on a cross just to show you how much he loved you. He walked to his own death to declare to your life and to my life how madly in love he is with you. So God offers you an invitation as he walked to his own death, that you would be able to receive his love because here's what happened. Our sin, our rebellion to God created a barrier in our relationship with God. And so what we naturally do is we try to fix that problem. We, we try to climb back to God. We try to fix the problem. Here's the, here's, here's the issue. We, we try as hard as we can and we always and consistently fall short. We needed perfection and we couldn't be it, but it's exactly what Jesus was for us. And he came and he walked to his death so that we could know him, so we could have a relationship with him, so that we could understand and grasp and experience his love. And today we're gonna celebrate that. We're gonna celebrate it through something we call in the church world, communion. But before we kind of take part in communion, I wanna give you a chance if you're here today and you don't know the love of Jesus. You never said yes to this God who would give up his life for you so that you could experience his grace that covers you, his mercy that is always there and his love that will never leave you. And you wanna step into that love? I would just ask you to simply say this, to do this right now, you don't have to bow your heads or close your eyes. You can just say this from your heart, your heart crying out to a God who loves you. God, I I realize that I am a sinner. Say these words, God, I realize that I've fallen short of your standard. I've rebelled against you over and over again. But yet in the midst of my failure, I realized that you came and you rescued me by sending your one and only son to die on a cross. And three three days later, he rose again to give me the victory. And so today I am choosing to put my faith and my trust and my hope in Jesus Christ. God, I'm turning from my sin and I want you to forgive me and I want you to lead me from this day forward. And man, if you said that prayer, if you cried with your heart out to God, man, here's my simple challenge to you. We've talked about it the last two weeks and maybe you're ready to do it. Would you just tell somebody you said that prayer? Man, you can text your best friend. You can text a community group leader, a campus pastor. Hey, if you're in a chat right now, just declare it to the chat. There's thousands of people all over our city that want to celebrate with you. Hey, let's make it simple and easy. You've seen the slide two weeks in a row. But hey, if, if you want to reach out to me or our church, there's the information right there. There's our emails and our social media accounts. You gotta tell someone that you made, that you said that prayer, that you said yes to Jesus Christ. Here's the amazing news, church. Over the last two weeks, we have seen 26 people say yes to God, say yes to Jesus to coming into their life. That's worth celebrating. That's worth shouting in your home over. 26 people who were connecting into community and getting plugged into starting point where they can ask their questions and they can grow in their journey of walking with God. So if you said that prayer, tell somebody, I'm begging you. Let me know. I want to rejoice with you. But today we're going to celebrate and and revel and remember what Jesus did. And so if you have your elements, your supplies, your crackers, and your juice, I'd encourage you to get it ready right now. We're going to partake in communion in just a little bit. But Jesus actually says this about communion. He says, we do this to remember his sacrifice. You know, on on Palm Sunday, where Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem to die, we're remembering what his body that was broken and his blood that was shed does for us, that it saves and pays our penalty that we couldn't pay. And here's what you need to know about communion, is communion is for believers. And so we rarely do this where we would kind of isolate a group of people in our church, but really God makes this clear in his word that communion is for people who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, this really isn't for you. But communion is also a time where we as believers can look within It's a time where you don't think about your spouse or your kids, you think about you. David says this, he says, search my heart, O God, and and know me. And I would ask you as our bands sing a song about Jesus's sacrifice, that you would look deep within your heart and your mind and your soul and your body, and you would look for those areas, those areas where you're choosing that path of least resistance, where you're taking the easy road rather than the road of obedience to God. And maybe you begin to ask for forgiveness. God, I'm sorry for those areas, those nooks and crannies in my life that I just haven't given over to you today. And you ask for his forgiveness while our band sings this song and you make a commitment to God to say, I'm gonna walk and I'm gonna follow you in that area of my life. And so our band is gonna sing and I would encourage you to look within, to challenge yourself, to find those areas and to remember and reflect on what Jesus's sacrifice does for us. Listen to these words.